Live from the desk of Conrad Earp, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kevin. As always, I'm joined by super producer extraordinaire, the wickedly talented Mackenzie Wilkes. Howdy, howdy. See, John, I didn't trip up. Now, every week we usually spin a giant wheel and it determines what our movie is going to be for this week. But this is the biggest summer in Austin Danger podcast history. And so as a result, we've scattered a few predetermined movies in there. Please have no fear. At the end of this episode, our guest for next week, the wickedly talented (laughs) Sophie Shin, Sorry, I'm not just throwing it around. I, I just happen to know a lot of people who are wickedly talented. She will spin the wheel. She has spun it. We have the MP3 ready to go. We have not heard it. We have no idea what, what Soph's got, so it will still be a surprise for us. It could be anything. I hope it's like Journey to the Mysterious Island or something. <laughs> I, I, I would love that. But uh, that's, believe me, there's more random chance to come at the end of our show. And... Mackenzie will reveal episode 75. Yes, I will. So very exciting. But that's at the bottom of the hour. But first, as I said, predetermined episode this week on one of our most anticipated releases of the year, Wes Anderson's new film, Asteroid City. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A movie that has uh, garnered a lot of controversy because, um, because I Wes don't Anderson know, man. It... <laughs> made a movie that looks like a Wes Anderson movie. We'll get into it. We'll get into that. We'll get into, is there anything going on in this movie? Looks like a bunch of AI tweets to me. Just a bunch of symmetrical shapes and Edward Norton. I don't see anything. <laughs> or or is that is that viewpoint absolutely bonkers? You're going to have to find out by listening to our show. But Mackenzie, before we do anything else, could yes. you give me a synopsis of some things you've been watching this week? Absolutely. Uh, just quickly mention, only because maybe hint, hint, wink, wink, it relates to our number 75 episode today on the, uh, on the Criterion Connection. We will be talking about all that jazz, which I watched yesterday and I'm probably going to watch again before <laughs> we record. Uh, which Because Ian and I have not recorded yet. Um, but yeah, amazing, brilliant movie. We're not really hiding how we feel about it. And it definitely relates to the film ADP we'll be doing in two weeks. So just take a listen to that. And... The big thing, I didn't really watch a ton of like outside of my podcast movies this week, but uh, last week I did go to the Music Box Theater in Chicago, Illinois, and they have an ongoing series called Rated Q, which is a festival, a monthly series dedicated to uh, queer camp and cult films hosted by a wonderful drag performer named Ramona Slick. And uh, I've never been able to go because normally they used to be on Wednesday evenings, which is when ADP records. And so oh, I've, no. ne- I've never gone to a rated queue. It would be like 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. And I'm like, who's what? Um, but thankfully, they've moved to like 10 p.m. on Thursdays, which uh, I think fits the vibe way more because it's kind of a party vibe when you go there. Lots of drinks, a lot mm-hmm. of drunk people, a lot of dr- drunk gay people everywhere at these showings. I've learned because I went to Bound, my favorite movie of all time that I have evangelized many, many times on this podcast. Future episode. Uh, future episode, one of the greatest movies ever made, in my, in my humble opinion, the best movie ever made. Um, and I, it was, I mean, like I could, I could, I feel very emotional about it because it was like literally a dream come true to be front row. I was front row for this uh, showing, uh, seeing my favorite movie on 35 millimeter in person. And it, um, we were watching on the Wachowskis personal print. So like wow. Wachowskis are Chicago girls and they 
they let they they like live in Chicago, like both of them do, or at least Lana does, I believe. And um, we, I guess, they reached out to them about this showing, and they gladly donated their print for the showing. And so we watched it on the Wachowskis' personal print, which was just like crazy to me. Um, and it was amazing. I mean, the, they had drag performances before the show, and. I was yeah, I was posting videos and photos of it, and the and I was sending them to Kev too. Kev, what were you gonna say? I was half asleep watching this video of this drag performer <laughs> dressed up like Joey Pants. Yes, doing "Be Italian" from Nine, the musical. <laughs> yes, and I was half asleep, and other things were going on chemically with my brain that we won't discuss, but are legal in New York State. And oh. I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, is that, is that like, it, it looked in the face. This performer looked an awful lot like you. That's so funny. That's a, I think like that's a compliment. Cause Ramona's like, it's very, very pretty. So I take that as a compliment. Um, no, I was high off my ass. I'll say it. And I was <laughs> fucking blasted in the middle of this bound showing, which also was just like amazing. And yeah. Um, if you listened to the Criterion Connection last week, I also talked about my love for Rob Rob Marshall's Nine. Also, hint, hint, possibly relevant to number 75. Look, if you <laughs> thought this was the biggest summer in Austin Danger podcast history, I think this is the biggest year in Rob Marshall's life since he won the Oscar, hint, hint. So <laughs> That's true. Go um, on. If you don't know what the number 75 is by now... Um... We've I, also I said you. it every week all year. So <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, but yeah, so I love Nine and I talked about it. And like watching this very niche, because uh, I don't feel like no one else thinks about this movie other than me regularly at least. And watching them perform Nine, a song from Nine was just so funny. And there was also an amazing um, drag performer who did a quirky like kind of piece with um pj harvey's down by the water which is such a fucking cool song and had like a kind of bondage gear chest thing with the labrys on the back of it which as if you've seen the film you know corky famously has a labrys tattoo it leads to one of the funniest exchanges in the whole film that was amazing um the drag queen who did uh, violet did garbages like i would die for you which is like Again, just all the song choices were amazing. The performances were incredible. I was tipping like a madman and like I did not need to spend that much money that night. But hey, it was worth it. Um, so yeah, I just want to say it was just like one of the greatest experiences in my life. I was floating on cloud nine, um, sitting next to Rachel, my dear friend, Ned, and I had a lot of other friends that were sitting behind me and seeing it for the first time. It was so amazing. People were just cheering at all the best moments. People were quoting the movie along with the movie. It was such an active and engaged and just shit faced audience full of gay people. Um, and the best part in the whole world was spoiler alert, skip 15 seconds if you've not seen bound, but I mean, it's whatever. It's a mafia movie when Caesar gets shot the crowd just erupted in the most uproarious applause of all time. And it was just, it was just amazing. It was, it was just amazing. It was one of the best days of my life and I'll never forget it. And I'm so glad I got to see it on the big screen. So wanted to talk about it here. Hell yeah. And if you haven't seen bound yet, I don't know what else I have to say to convince you to go watch bound. And if uh, you're giving it below four stars, don't rate it. Cause I am on the trail of, <laughs> I am desperately hoping that bounds average will uh, one day, get to the 4.0 average on letterbox that's what i'm aiming for one day for it it deserves it so 
I'm looking forward to when we don't get it on the wheel long enough that you and Ian pivot to the Olive Signature Collection. <laughs> Literally. Hey, I that think and- I, I mentioned it on a recent episode where we did our bonus of uh, films we think should be in there. I, I think Bound would be a great addition to the Criterion Collection. So maybe I'll email suggestions at Criterion because that has worked in the past. So And they'll search by your email and find that Jaws email. Where I was high and I was like, you should put <laughs> Jaws in the Criterion Collection. Um, but yeah, that was great. And other than that, uh, catching up on TV, I haven't got into episode three yet but the righteous gemstones is back uh that's right still great still a great show the bear season two finished that um continues to be brilliant amazing television and i was just seeing before we hopped on this call that the viewership went up by like 70 percent from season one and it's like the biggest like premiere or watched thing that like fx on hulu's ever had so congrats to the bear well well deserved an amazing season two of of a great television show I loved it. The thing, the thing is, is like, I've been so up TV's ass ever since we started this podcast, basically <laughs> about how like everything's an eight, eight hour movie now and, and all that. So as you can imagine, I was not happy with the bear, all episodes coming out same day, especially since it's so episodic, especially this year. Mm-hmm. I feel like every episode stands alone in what it contributes to the big story. Like like they're they're they've managed to do both in a really satisfying way, but I did watch it in two days, right? So who am mm. I? And so did seventy percent more people than last year. Yeah, I also wanted to pace myself, but like me and Rachel were watching at least an episode each morning. We were just so excited because you just it, it it flows so well. It flows like a film, but it's still you're right. It still feels like really well made television and. I just think it's such a great show because it, it just feels so tight. It's so tight. It's so concise. The storytelling is so tight yeah, again, but like the, the character work is so deep and these characters are so lived in. And I feel like um, this season, especially dug more into characters and even deeper ways. The characters outside of Carmi and Sid got, you know, there was a couple of characters that got their own kind of, episodes and for me the highlight of the season was episode seven which highlights and focuses on richie who is a really i think he's become an even more compelling character than he already was because he has an you know amazing performer telling his story um but like tina's my favorite i love that marcus got a bit more to do like all these characters got their own things that they got to dig into and i'm excited for season three to just continue to deepen those characters um while still like they use they use flashbacks and and you know now two episodes two seasons in a row they've had kind of uh single episodes that are like kind of the cornerstone of the season right like season one it was the the oneer episode that was really mind-blowing that they performed in one take and it was genuinely done as a single take and this episode they have this cornerstone hour-long double their normal length uh flashback episode about uh the feast of the seven fishes and like i just i'm always so impressed when they're able to pull those those big episodes off and uh use it to just again just deepen the character work i I just feel like that's a reason i think why people love succession right is because the character work on that show was so great and i think it just it, it shows that the most compelling stories are the ones where yeah you just you commit to exploring the depths of the human psyche and relationships and characters and the bear just does that so magnificently and it's a great marriage of great writing and great performances right like Mm -hmm. succession works for me because it feels like a piece of great new york theater 
Mm, yeah. And maybe the bear does as well. I don't it's know. Chicago I've never been to theater, Chicago, baby. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I can totally see something like this. Steppenwolf produce something like this or like, I don't know. I don't know anything about Chicago theater, to be honest with you. But it's it, it flows like a, it has a, this it has the same theatrical sensibility. I would you agree. I mean, I do Which want we're to get into out, later. We'll get into it later. We'll get into it with my what you've been watching. There's been a lot of theatrical sensibility lately, which disclaimer, I work in theater has been great. Hmm. I do want to call out. There is one performer whose name I will not spoil, but listeners to my content will know who it is immediately when I say it. So <laughs> yes. I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm going to, if you'll excuse me, I almost never do this. I'm going to pull up this person's Instagram and I'm going to read what they wrote. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to read what they wrote because it is, look, I, I've been calling out this person for a while, but this is, I think, beyond the pale. They were definitely a main main character in our, during award season that we discussed quite often, Yes. Oh, I've been discussing this person in content since the fall of 2021. Believe me, <laughs> I've had an ax to grind against this person for, here we go. This person writes, when I saw the first episode of the show last summer and Sugar asks Carmen if he had spoken to their mother, in that second, I knew that I would play her. <laughs> Don't ask me how. <laughs> I just knew. Why is she like this? What did you invent, Hulu? Oh my gosh. She was saying, listen, it's, I, it's yeah, not know, enough know, that you've invented Instagram. Now you got to go invent <laughs> the bear as well. I don't know, it was man. A, she's, she posts like meme posts about everything she's in, in a way that's hilarious. And she's shifted from her awards, award-winning film that she was posting about a lot in the fall to now the bear. And it's hilarious. I will say she did post so hard about that movie. It may have worked for her in the long run. I don't know who we're talking about. Mayhaps it worked for her. <laughs> We're hinting so much at stuff in the first part of this episode, which is cracking me up. Um, but Kev, we got to keep moving. We got Asteroid City to talk about. But first, I do want to know, other than the bear, what else did you watch? Yeah, the, the big thing I want to talk about, first of all, I saw Asteroid City three times. So we'll talk about that in the main event. So <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time on, on that film because uh, it's boring. It's Wes Anderson just doing his thing. Nothing else going on. But uh, I've been trying to see Nicole Hoff Center's new film, You Hurt My Feelings, for weeks. And finally, I finally watched it. This was a victory uh, when I finally got to see that movie. Hell yeah. I really want to see it, too. Talk about a movie with New York theater sensibilities. My God. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She's a somewhat successful author. She wrote a memoir that like did okay. She's working on her second book. Her agent seems a little skittish on it. She overhears her husband talking to his, his, his friend and he's just shitting all over it. And so the main, mm. the main crux of the movie is why do we lie to the people we love when we think we're trying to protect them from the truth? And it's all mm. about protecting the people you love against reality and what happens when that butts heads. I really liked it. We have friends who did not. I think that it, if you vibe with 
the kind of indie movie for like quote unquote adults where it's a bunch of adults sitting around a room talking about a vague idea. It's an awesome movie. I really enjoyed it, but um, that's not everybody. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, So yeah, you hurt my feelings. I really enjoyed it. It'll be on Showtime maybe before the end of our age. I don't know what the window is anymore on that. I have no idea either. I might, I have a whole week off next week, so I'm hoping if it's still in some theaters, I can, I can take a gander at it and go check it out. I would recommend checking it out. It'll also be available to rent soon enough. It's up on like Fandango. Mm. Our turnip truck fell into a ravine. The driver of the turnip truck is safe, but the truck is totaled. So (laughs) who could say how you would find a copy of that movie these days? What else did I watch? I watched Unbreakable. We talked about Unbreakable last week, though, right? I don't. I think remember. so. Yes. What yeah, yeah. You mentioned it. it. <laughs> and we watched Unbreakable, and I'll also lightly touch on it because it's going to be one of our best future episodes. But uh, Escape Hatch today is doing The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, what is what? I've never heard. I don't know that I don't know movie. Is. Kicks ass. It's based on an old show from the seventies or sixties or seventies. Excuse me, everybody, for saying so. Harrison Ford plays a doctor and his wife is killed and they try to frame him. These mysterious people who it's all twists and turns. Uh, these people try to frame him for the murder of his wife. And Tommy Lee Jones plays the U S marshal who has to go get him and bring him to justice or what mm. he believes to be justice. Joey pants plays <gasps> Tommy Lee Jones's sidekick in this film. My and King. is pretty damn funny. He's great. Where are the drag performances of of Joey Pants's performance? In the Fugitive. In the Fugitive. <laughs> Where is my drag king, the Fugitive? Oh, I also, I didn't say this, but so you've seen the the way I, I posted on my Instagram and it's the performer who drag, does drag as Joey Pants eventually removes their pants and is shaking their ass in, in electric red short shorts. But um, afterward, removed the shirt too and had a big fake like... Um, muscular chest with Italian flag uh, suspenders on them. It was really, really great. <laughs> Damn great. Every line reading of his got like the biggest laugh in, ever. It was, it was great. What else I'll do did the I future. I mean, I saw the, the I saw the play Fat Ham, which uh, yeah. is playing in New York. It's already closed by the time you've listened to this, <laughs> but uh, you should have gone. And it just won the Pulitzer Prize last year, so it'll be produced in your town. And when it comes to your town, you should check it out. It's great. Really of our moment. Also, happy Pride. We're seeing Bound. We're seeing Fat Ham. We're seeing Asteroid City. The rep is strong. Asteroid City, unexpected. Unexpected gay rep. We loved it. The people behind me who complained the movie was bog standard Wes Anderson, laughed at the kiss and i was like what are we doing here we are in times square on literal pride what are we doing i also anyway, had we'll people and get... yeah my first showing that laugh and i was like i'm gonna turn around and beat everyone's fucking asses right now <laughs> we have a show to do isn't it so funny when people who love each other kiss oh it's hilarious it's great it's hilarious what are we five anyway moving <laughs> we on have, we have a show i know we have a show speaking of being five What does it all mean, Basil? Um, there is no Austin news this week. <laughs> okay, thank God. Thank God. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it in my soul. Speaking of being five, five-year-olds don't know very much at all. They know as much as 
uh, oh, Elizabeth Hurley is featured in a documentary about a football, a cricketer that she had a torrid affair with about 12 years ago. Excuse me, what? This is an American podcast. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> I think Austin Powers is leaving Netflix in July, so... Oh, well, speaking of Austin Powers in July, the new Beverly Cinema, if you live in Los Angeles, that's where the new Bev is, correct? That's right. Um, is playing uh, July 21st through the 23rd, Austin Powers International Man of Mystery, alongside on a double bill with Charlie's Angels. So, like, if that's not the most McKinsey double bill, I've, ne- I've never, I don't even know. So, uh, that's the only Austin news I could think of, is that if you live in LA or around the LA area and want to see Austin Powers on 35mm, and... I mean, obviously, the great Charlie's Angels, a great ADPF as well. You can see it on 35 millimeter at the new Bev. We got to get a sponsorship going. That's no coincidence. That's literally like so us coded. It's so this podcast coded. I can't even believe it. Quentin, call us. What are you doing, man? You're on hiatus. When are we doing a Quentin movie? When are we doing Kill Bill? These are the questions I ask. We got to spin the wheel. (laughs) Soaps gets Kill Bill. Oh my god. I doubt it, but that would be really that'd be epic as hell if we were doing Kill Bill with Soaps. No, Soaps gets like one of the broy ones. Soaps gets uh, death proof. Could you imagine? Oh, Our god. first Quentin Tarantino is death proof. I, would, I like oh death proof. Oh my gosh. Proof, I haven't I mean, I don't think I've ever seen it in full full, maybe. I don't remember. I was very into Kill Bill in high school because that was like my whole personality, but pretty much it. Part one is a great movie, and part two is the last two hours of a great movie. <laughs> It's time. We got to talk about it. Got to hop saw on a it. train. We saw it. We're hopping on that train. We're tuning into the Mercury Radio Theater. Mackenzie, would you be so kind as to give us a brief synopsis of Wes Anderson's <laughs> Asteroid City? I, and I didn't mean brief because last week's was long. It's as long <laughs> as it has to be. Yes. Take us there. I'll take you there. Hop on this train with me. One, two, three. Holy D. They're on who walk and have on. Lean and skinny, about six foot seven. Don't we know you ain't our brother or your friend or foe? Or other. host brings us into the world of a televised production of a play called Asteroid City by the playwright called Conrad Earp. The events of the play are as follows. War photographer and recent widow Augie Steenbeck travels to the town of Asteroid City, population 87, along with his brainiac son Woodrow and his three young daughters. They are here to attend a convention for junior stargazers and space cadets, where they meet other brainiacs, Diana Campbell and her mother, famous actress Midge Campbell, Midge Campbell, as well as Ricky, Shelley and Clifford. All of the kids are wonderfully intelligent and are being awarded honors from the U.S. military during this convention for their latest scientific pursuits. Festivities are uprooted, though, when a quiet and docile alien arrives to take the titular asteroid from the titular city and plunges the town into quarantine. With everyone in the town now reflecting on their own mortality as well as their places in the universe, they pursue romantic entanglements while the teens attempt to contact the alien with the help of the quirky Dr. Hickenlooper. Throughout the film, we learn the true story of the artists who created and performed Asteroid City, the love affair between Conrad Earp and the actor playing Augie, Jones Hall, the tortured genius director Schubert Green and his tumultuous friendship with Midge's actress Mercedes Ford, 
the revered acting teacher of the entire company, Salzburg Keitel, and even the unnamed actress who at one point played Augie's wife, whose scenes were cut. In the world of Asteroid City, when the alien returns to the town to bring back the meteorite and plunges the town into further chaos, Jones Hall breaks out of the play to ask Schubert Green if he's doing it right. What does it all mean? Will any of this make sense? Will it even matter? He doesn't know. None of us can ever know. We just have to keep doing the play. So the play continues. Characters are released from quarantine as the news of the alien has gone public, and they all must attempt to return to their normal lives. In the final moments of the film, maybe they've found some peace. They must move forward, keep doing the play, and head off into the sunset away from Asteroid City. I tried to also do a kind of like artistic-y like delivery, line delivery situation with that too. The bar is in the stratosphere right now <laughs> for these Thank synopses. You. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to roll. I'm going to roll amazing. lately. Oh. No, you are. So before we get into this movie, I feel like we should briefly touch on Wes Anderson. Yeah. have We, we haven't done a movie by him yet, right? No. We've never done a Wes Anderson movie yet. Perf. Perfect. You guys on Criterion Connection have also never done one. Most of them are future episodes. There are a couple that are like, will they be future episodes? Will they not be future episodes? They're kind of in limbo on the Criterion side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think it's safe to say Wes Anderson is my favorite director ever. He's my first favorite director. I discovered his stuff uh, 19 years ago with the Life Aquatic (laughs) trailer and then watched Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic from there. And that began really my love of film as film, as not like, you know, the movie out is Batman or Hellboy or whatever else. Like uh, the Pixar movie coming out that year was like my idea of high art at that point because I was 12 years old. (laughs) Yes. So, well, and, and also, I mean, at that time, Pixar was anyway, anyway, anyway. So yeah, I have loved Wes Anderson my whole life, and that hasn't changed one bit. Not when things kind of dried up the first time. Not when he went and made Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was amazing, and all throughout to literally today as we sit here. Hmm. Uh, Mackenzie, I have a feeling that you love Wes Anderson almost as much as I do, if if not as much. I do as well, yeah. I, I definitely don't have as long of a relationship with him as a filmmaker because I've talked about it a lot on this podcast and the Criterion Connection. I only really got into film a few years ago now and um i was aware of wes anderson because he's one of those directors who who is kind of i think ingrained in culture at least for our generation or people that are our age um i remember grand budapest being a big deal when it came out but i was like a teen i didn't really pay attention to it i was an older you know young adult i was in college i think when that came out um i didn't really pay attention to it i never really saw a wes anderson movie ever in my life and um, when I was with Rachel, I for, I do believe the first Wes Anderson I ever saw was Fantastic Mr. Fox because that was a movie Rachel loved and was like, I want to show you this movie. And so I remember we watched Fantastic Mr. Fox a lot and I thought it was very whimsical and very fun. I adore that film. Um, but I, I had never really seen a live action uh Wes Anderson film and I'm I'm trying to I'm panicked and like looking through my ranking and I can't easily pull which film I watched first but there was a time about two issues ago about a year and a half ago where I was like he doesn't have that many movies 
at the at that time he had like 10 features uh and now with his 11th being asteroid city and i was like i could probably just like watch all of them in like a week <laughs> and so i did so i sat down and i watched all of wes anderson's films and i just fell in love with the way he tells stories and he i would agree that i think he is my fa- i would call him undoubtedly my favorite director in terms of just the sheer volume of films I love by him there's only one of his films that I would say I dislike and even that film I am planning to give a second try very very soon um and so I just yeah he's a he's a filmmaker who I feel like I get his language I get the way he speaks I get the way he tells stories and it resonates with the way my brain works and the way my brain likes to experience stories and experience emotion and experience art and so I just yeah his films just really do something really special for me and obviously The Life Aquatic with Steve Sassou is my favorite and that was the first one where I watched it and I it was so funny my very first watch of that movie I remember I was watching it on my laptop and I was laying on my back I had my laptop on my stomach and I was texting (laughs) just like on my phone while I was watching quote-unquote this film and there's a part that I don't want to spoil, but it's a very heartbreaking moment in the film, in the latter half of the film, where two characters are in um, some water. And it's a beautiful moment of directing because Wes Anderson doesn't quite let you know what's happening quite at first. And you have to watch the visual cues of the water and the setting to figure out what's happening. And I remember I was, I like saw this happening and I put my phone down and it pulled me in. And then the it ramped into the final moments of the film that have this um, absolutely stunning moment that like if I think about it too much, I just start weeping that I just started bawling my eyes out. And this was not a movie I was particularly paying attention to. And it pulled me in. And then as soon as Rachel got home, I immediately restarted it. I was like, I need to give this movie my full attention. And it immediately skyrocketed to being one of my favorite movies ever. So yeah, I love him so much. I, I, you know, I, I love all of his movies so dearly. I love the way he tells stories. I love his characters. I love the actors he works with. Um, I'm rambling now, but I am a big Wes Anderson girly. And I, this is the first film of his I've gotten to see in theaters because this is the first movie he's released since I got into his films. Um, and as soon as this film started, the black and white cinematography opened up. I started crying because I was so excited I it hit me I get to see a new Wes Anderson movie like I've watched all of his movies like multiple times now my favorites I've seen at least three or four times in the last couple years and I was it was really hitting me that I was going to get to see a story by him that I had never seen before and it made me so fucking excited uh and I also saw it multiple times how did it feel to you when you were sitting down in the theater for Asteroid City I've been lucky enough to see all of his live action stuff. <laughs> Darjeeling Limited is the only movie I've ever been turned away from because it was rated R. <laughs> Which, by the way, like, I don't even know why. I think they say fuck in it twice. There's like some oh. sexual content, I guess, but like, it's oh, not I'm that sure bad. Oh, sure there's a boob or something, but like, come on. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Just utterly absurd. But um, I've had the good fortune of seeing. Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, French Dispatch, and now Asteroid City in theaters. And uh, I don't know. I didn't. I I didn't get the. I get that all the time. I'm a big sap, right? But I I I, I guess I I was excited. But I I I was like, 
but again, like I'm a bitter, jaded old man. <laughs> I did. There was a palpable excitement to seeing Moonrise Kingdom to be able to see one of the movies on the big screen. Hmm. If only because I was so close. <laughs> like physically That's in relation so to the screen? No, I was so close to seeing Darjeeling Limited and had to wait a whole year until it came out on DVD. Oh, I was oh, pissed oh, off. Oh, I see, I see, I see. I love Darjeeling. And I have to tell you, a year later, I worked at that movie theater and I took no pleasure in that. And having to turn people over this guy, This guy got all, got too much joy out of it personally. Sad. <laughs> sad no but i i mean I, I love seeing any movie from a filmmaker i revere very much in the theater it's a very special experience mm. so yeah i guess i felt that but i also felt like not in the way everyone else is saying because perhaps they've run out of things to say in the world um but i felt like it was like okay show me let's go it's i was more excited than i was emotional about it mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we should harp on it for the whole episode, but there, yeah, you mentioned it earlier. This uh, this film is getting a lot of weird controversy, a weird flack for being a Wes Anderson movie. I always find it deeply confusing when people go to Wes Anderson movies and then are mad that they look and feel like Wes Anderson movies. I say, why? why I think to myself, why? Why would you go to this if that's not something you enjoy or or that you think you could enjoy? Um, it's just kind of it, it reads as deeply silly to me. And, um, I, I find, and I, and I just don't have this at all. I find that people have like these like very tall, like these big walls they put up when they go to a Wes Anderson movie. It's, it's like they want to challenge him or something. I, I'm very, I, I, this is my first time experiencing a Wes Anderson movie coming out in theaters while I'm on like film Twitter and I'm in a film community and I'm like just really deeply confused by the reaction that some people are having to this film. Like they just have their... I don't know. They're very guarded to his style and then they get kind of <laughs> mad about it. I'm just kind of confused why people are reacting this way. It's a bummer because this is one of his deep, as we'll get into, this is really one of his deepest stories with like the most going on ever. Yes. Right. Like the French dispatch was my favorite movie of that year. Mm. And I love it very much. But if you want to come to me and say that movie is Wes Anderson being Wes Anderson, Hell yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Isle of Dogs. Totally on it, man. Absolutely feel you. Excuse the hiccup. Darjeeling Limited, I think, is the worst of it in terms of the Wes Anderson stuff oh. running thin. I think it's a great movie, but uh, we're talking about hey, the style and the disagree. feeling. And What? As I respectfully disagree. Word. I get it. Well, <laughs> future episode. I think Moonrise Kingdom is that, but yes. You know what? And I think you're probably right. Yeah. But the the point the point I'm making is I think there are other movies that are far more that than this. Mm, yes. I don't know what happened here. And I'll never know because because the, the conversation usually ends at that point. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I, I'm not, you know, whatever you want to do. We're just normal men. It just seems like someone says like, ah, style over substance yet again. And then they don't want to engage any further in the conversation. And I just, I've never felt that his films are all style, no substance. I think his style informs the substance. His style is the substance. His style lifts up the substance and they're both there together. And that's what makes his movie so good. Uh, And so I've never understood that critique ever really. 
especially in a movie that is about attempting to find some control. Yes. And we'll use this to kind of bridge into the kind of the discussion of this movie here. Please. The movie is to me, among many other things, Wes Anderson attempting to cope with COVID. Mm, Yeah. For me, in a world where everything is more surreal than ever, in a world where everything seems fake and artificial, trying to find some kind of control in that is, is why his movies always look like that. They're symbols of an attempt to keep order in a chaotic world, right? Like that's how I've always read the, the butterfly exhibit portraits of people, (laughs) right? We're attempting to make sense of a senseless world. And now we, we are getting two layers of that and it's not super abstract either. Like Jason Schwartzman's character is walking around talking about, I don't understand. I don't understand. And he's being instructed by his boss to be like, just do it anyway. Who cares? Whatever. Go about your life and, you know, go about your life. Go act the part. Whether you understand it or not is immaterial. It's there. Like, that's, that's, that's it. Yeah. It's I, about that. It's about grief. It's about yes, love. It's yes. like, I, I just, how does it not? I don't know. I, I Sometimes when I, when I've been reading people talk about this movie, I feel like I've watched a completely different movie. I'm like, wait, like I did the stuff is there. It's there's, there's the surface level stuff. And I think there's the deeper stuff too. Uh, I agree. I also got kind of a COVID vibe from it, but even going deeper than that, like, I think that the French dispatch has some meta levels, meta layers of, Wes Anderson commenting on his own art and I think he takes it like a hundred miles further with Asteroid City like to me that's definitely read as him he is as introspective as these characters he as a filmmaker is asking himself am I doing this right will my art matter does is this is this even working for people what what does my art even mean what is my place in the universe he is questioning all of these things in himself as a filmmaker and these characters are expressing these fil- these feelings too like it to me, it definitely read as a very meta commentary on the things I think a lot of us were feeling, yeah, in COVID, right? There's the obvious like one-to-one of quarantine. These people go into quarantine because of this destabilizing event. Even though there was already war and guns and everything surrounding them, this alien is what plunged us into an actual quarantine. And now we have to start thinking, are we doomed? He looked at us like we were doomed. So then what are we even doing here? And those questions bleed into the actor because he is looking for meaning too as a human being, as we all are. And the art he is engaging with isn't answering his question. We look to art, we look to religion, we look to these higher powers to answer our questions about the universe. And even the art that he's always looked to isn't answering his questions. And so, yeah, he asks the director, am I even doing this right? And to me, that was the, that was the moment of the play. I think the play, the movie. I think Wes Anderson always has these brilliant moments of a gut punch. He knows how to sneak those beautiful gut punches up into you. And the, am I doing it right into the scene with the actress destroyed me both times. I watched this movie because to me, that is the film. It's about, yeah, it's about that love. It's about, you have to keep going, even if you don't feel like you can. And I think a lot of us were feeling those things during the pandemic or just feel those things every fucking day of our lives. And we have to wake up every day and choose to keep going. And it's not easy. And sometimes you don't know why you're doing it, but you have to keep doing the play, even if you don't know why. And I'm rambling now. 
this movie resonated with me very, very deeply. By the time this this episode drops, my six-page review on Asteroid City will be on my Letterboxd account. Um, if you want to know how I feel about it, I recommend going to read that. But yeah, I I loved this movie and I got so much out of it. And so yeah, it does make me feel like a little crazy that that there are people who got nothing out of it. And I think that's totally valid. And I I don't I don't want to act. I don't want to. I want to say now I'm not trying to like shit on you if you felt that way. That's totally fine. I don't think his art's for everyone, but this really, really, really got to me. And I'm rambling, Kev. Take it away. Take, take say what you want to say because I'm talking too much. I mean, you guys heard me talk about Southland Tales. Hmm. I'm crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. And I, I mean, it. and again, I want to be clear because sometimes it's not clear, right, on the internet over text only, mm-hmm. et cetera. The second time I saw the movie, my review was, yep, nothing going on here. <laughs> like, and I felt like that was maybe mean. And uh, it wasn't. What a joy is art, right? And this is kind of what the movie is also partially about. What joy is art when we are all experiencing wildly different things? Mm. Right? As, as Southland Tales taught us last week what what is meaningless and awful to one person as we'll talk about in our review segment trainer uh <laughs> can be can be genius transgressive art to somebody else yeah as you said french dispatch also touches on this a lot especially yeah in that it does del toro short right what is art and what does it even mean and now we're we're here in asteroid city i i also i also didn't think you know, he's had more purposely wooden acting before also. Oh, by the way, I'm not shitting on anybody is what I meant. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like we're you. all friends here. We're just talking about our perceptions of art, right? Like we strongly disagree, but we're all friends here. Okay. Yeah. This is fake. Again, Asteroid City. These are the themes. It's not real. We're all enjoying it and getting what we can out of something that we clearly cannot understand. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I wonder, I wonder if part of it is that there are layers to this film that were not disclosed. Mm. The marketing relative to a Wes Anderson movie's release has been pretty aggressive. And all of the marketing and the pop-up shops and all this are all about Asteroid City. And none of it, I don't think, I don't think mentions the Edward Norton storyline or any of the the maybe you see Brian Cranston introducing the film, but we don't really see, to my knowledge, maybe clips, but the Edward Norton quote unquote real life storyline, which is also fake. I yeah, no, I don't think I saw anything to do with Edward Norton or Adrian Brody, who are the two actors who don't appear in the production of Asteroid City, right, in some capacity. I definitely don't think I saw anything to do with that. And I I heard people like know that Margot Robbie was cast, but I don't think anybody knew like her role would be what it was, I think at the end of the day. So yeah, they definitely were keeping that close to their chest. And I think that, I think it worked. I think it, I think it was disarming and interesting. I'll say this. If I have a criticism of the film and they're few, I can understand where you're coming from. If you became disengaged when they started to extensively talk about things that hadn't happened yet. Oh, I love that. I think that is, I love, I listen, I loved it and it made the movie great. Like that third watch on Sunday was just so nice and so chill and just so 
wonderful feeling to have it all tie together. Mm -hmm. But that was the third time I'd seen this movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like this is like the third and fourth hours of engaging with this piece. And uh, you have to like it first to go back. So I understand. I can understand people's confusion at the storylines and how they coalesce. Like, why does Augie put his hand on the the waffle iron? I had almost forgotten that even happens. They did. They did call it back before it happened. Mm-hmm. But if you're a first time viewer and you're just trying to grab onto anything, um, it can be a lot. I get it. I, I I get how that was confusing. No, I I I loved I loved that aspect of like us hearing about things that were going to happen because for me I I forget about it and then when the burn happens I remember him saying, I think he does it because he his heart he needs to figure out like and and then I um I write this a lot in my review. There's a ton of stuff I wrote about this that like I what I loved about this film is I. I feel like it's, you know, take a shot. Mackenzie's going to mention that she's does, she's does theater again. But um, I, I love from a big thing I love about this film was the reverence. I think Wes Anderson has for theater, right? It, it bookends almost with Rushmore to me that the framing device for that is also one, another very personal film with a very distinct Anderson avatar in that film with Max, but both of both this and asteroid city are framed with, um, theater right and i think that wes anderson has just such a reverence for theater and actors and the people who create theater and he's you know a lot of the characters in the real life story feel like tennessee williams and elia kazan and uh, elizabeth taylor and these you know these people who Marilyn monroe right these actors who were of and creators who were of this kind of golden age of broadway like i think he has such a love of theater and so to me i loved those moments because for me it's a reminder that there are people behind these characters, right? Um, and I write about it a lot in my review is that I think Wes Anderson, especially the way he talks about his actors in interviews, he sees the actors and the characters as one and the same. And I do think in Asteroid City, he's trying to say like, our art is so intrinsically linked to us as human beings. And I also think that plays into him commenting on his own art. Like, what does it say about Anderson when you make these AI recreations of him, or you say he's no substance. What does it say about him? Because he is so intrinsically linked to the work he creates. And so I love that tie of like, you cannot separate the, like the director says to Jones, Augie has become you and you have become him. Augie and Jones are passing through one another because he is so linked to the character that they cannot be separated any further. And there's a beauty to that type of acting and that type of art. And I definitely am losing the plot, but I loved that because it, it explains the internal life of these actors a bit more. So when you're watching Asteroid City, you maybe have a little bit more context for, for what that means. And I, the thing that, that really hit me was where I was talking to Rachel. We both loved the Conrad and Jones love story. You know, Wes Anderson has danced around queer characters quite a bit in his work, but he's never actually like gone there. And Gustav's, you know, is bisexual, admittedly. There's like kind of a fun bisexual line in Life Aquatic with Steve Sassou. You know, I'm half gay. Supposedly we all are. I, I personally like it, but he's never really kind of gone there. And so I was so amazed to see, again, this wasn't spoiled in the trailers, this moment of sincere gay love, I guess, on screen and I do think that the relationship between those characters informs so much of the text for me because I was thinking of when 
Augie is told to use his grief. Maybe he doesn't quite understand that yet. Maybe Jones doesn't understand what it means to be a widower yet. But when Conrad dies, he will. When Conrad dies, now Jones will know what it feels like to be a widower. And because him and Augie are now so close, so tied, these words change. Theater changes. Art changes. It morphs along with you and it grows up and along with you. And that is what is beautiful about art. And I don't know. I just feel like I got all of this from Asteroid City and I just cannot stop thinking about it. I loved this movie so much. I'm rambling again. I am so sorry. Again, I wrote a six-page review. I went crazy on this movie on Letterboxd. This is episode 73. (laughs) You don't know that this is the show. I can't help you. (laughs) But yeah, I I loved, I just want to say the way too long of a ramble short. I loved these moments of being told about events before and seeing the internal life of the actors playing the characters because I just felt like it gave those new levels to to the characters, both the actors and the people in Asteroid City. I was just playing devil's advocate because I feel like that's the big thing I can kind of understand. Like, okay, yeah, that is a little disorienting and the marketing led you to believe it would be one way and maybe you weren't prepared. I can, I can vouch for that. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking to Wes's reverence for actors, it is interesting that for all of the regular players that show up and, you know, Jason Schwartzman, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody. Who else is a returning player? Uh, William. William. Fuck. I am an idiot. Willem Dafoe. Excuse me. <laughs> William Dafoe. The great Tony Revolori who barely gets a line but steals the movie. Uh, Jeff Goldblum who gets one line and successfully steals the movie. I Yeah, I loved his one line. It's a, it's a metaphor. I'm not sure yet. And of course, I didn't even clock this, but uh, Sue Jorge or jo- Sue George, I'm not sure how you pronounce. Yeah. The, the um, acoustic guitar playing uh, David Bowie fan from The Life Aquatic appears in this movie as well. And I was surprised, you know, people like to rag on Wes Anderson for doing this because they use Twitter and are funny. <laughs> but um, But again, I think I agree that it speaks to the reverence of that company and the family aspect of it. But I, I did want to talk about a couple of new players yeah. who I thought were very interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about our returning champion, Tom Hanks. <laughs> yes. Who, I mean, I don't know about this. You know, this this the movie is not about this character, right? But I, I feel like he does fit in well with the the vibe. Yeah. I mean, I love Tom Hanks. Can I say his fit at the beginning? We didn't really meet his actor right outside of asteroid city, but we see him for two seconds when they're being introduced and the fit, Oh my God, the fit he's wearing. Oh my God. He looked, tells you everything you need to know. He looked incredible. And Tom Hanks looks beautiful with that snow white hair. Like he looks so handsome. Um, and you know what? It's funny. I think he did a good job. But I did, at least on my first watch, leave the film going, oh, so that was obviously supposed to be Bill Murray, right? And, but then I no. saw, yeah, then I saw he, Bill Murray was supposed to be Steve Carell. And I was like, what? Because in That's my right. brain, the sleazeball stepfather is so Bill Murray to me. And that would have also, again, bookended with Rushmore, the relationship he has with Schwartzman and Rushmore, I think. Uh, I actually, and so there's a part of me that might have preferred Bill Murray in that role, even though I know he is currently a bit more problematic than most of Anderson's other players. Um, 
but I still think Tom Hanks did a good job and I, I'd be interested to see if if Anderson uses Hanks again and how he how he utilizes him I wonder if the hotel manager would have had more to do in this movie if uh if it was Bill although yeah. although on the third watch I did note that my boy Carol had a bit more to do than I thought originally mm. but again unfortunately the ensemble i think this may be another thing i i understand is there's just so many people doing so many things Mm -hmm. that by design don't tie in because the movie's not really about them no it gets tough i get it although i did think i i I do love carol i think carol is is i believe he's making his austin danger podcast debut with this film i yeah i mean he'll eventually come around more when we get into the Apatow comedies with Anchorman and 40 year old virgin, but get smart. Yeah. Get smart. Like he's, he's in a lot of movies I think are definitely future episodes, but Evan almighty, the chairman <laughs> of the board of whatever year we do that movie. Yes. Big Carol fan. Uh, the Jeff Goldblum cameo was very funny. I'll also note as I go through the cast here, uh, great kids. The kids were great. I, yeah, I, you know, I'm not one to, to, um, shit on a child actor but you know i didn't like i don't love no no i i i, I get i'm sh- not one no shit i on get a child. shit every time i say i don't like moonrise kingdom because i didn't love the performances in it and the main performances are all children and so people are always like oh my god they're just kids in mckenzie and i'm like look i'm gonna i'm gonna watch it soon rachel's never seen it i'm gonna give it another chance i promise i'm giving moonrise kingdom another chance but i thought the kid actors in this film were way more successful for me than they were in Moonrise Kingdom. Like all of these kids, they nailed the style. They nailed the like line delivery that Wes is clearly trying to aim for. Um, And it does feel like it's the next class, right? The next, the next generation of Wes Anderson actors. Like I would be so happy to see all of these kids returning uh, as they grow up and continue to age. I I would love if they were the new Schwartzman's, right? Um, Being young, young kids who get to grow up with Wes's work. I would be totally down to see them see them in more stuff they were all really really great yep nothing to add (laughs) man the moonrise kingdom episode of this show i don't know man all these strikes against moonrise kingdom i'm sorry again i'm i'm gonna give another chance it's been a while since i've watched it um so one day tilda swinton always always kills it i loved her in the on the second watch she hit me more i like loved her even more in the second watch Dr. Hickenlooper. Yeah, there's a lot under the, again, like, there's a lot under the surface here with everybody. Watch eight. I may finally unlock what's going on with Carol, right? But, but, um, <laughs> I thought Tilda brought the house down in French Dispatch. I thought she almost yes. ran away with the whole movie. Yes. And, uh, when she hits the again, future episode, but like when she hits the slide That's of herself, full nude, naked body. Yeah. So funny. Oh, I guess we did see. Again, I was gonna say Asteroid City is the first movie we see full frontal female nudity, but I guess French Dispatches. Two movies, oh, yeah. two movies in a I row so. with full frontal bush action. Uh, <laughs> I'm fan of myself. Did you see? I saw on IMDb. I have no source for this, but I saw um, that Wes Anderson was too embarrassed to direct the scene where Scarlett Johansson goes full frontally nude. So she directed it herself. Is that true? I have no source for it. It's on, what? it's on IMDb, but someone said that. Uh, so again, no source. So probably should look it up more, but there's an IMDb trivia note that says that he was like embarrassed, which I feel like would track for his vibe. So I, I believe it. I'd believe it basically. I think I'd rather have somebody be too embarrassed than the opposite. Yes, right? I would agree. So I don't know. 
I thought she's great, by the way. New player, right? Is I don't this, think is she in. She other was stuff? amazing in this. this. I loved her in debut? this. I don't know if she's been in another Wes Anderson movie now that I think about it. And yeah, she was amazing. I thought I think she was great. I love getting to see her do not to do it, but non-Marvel things. I think now that she's able to get out of that world a bit, she's able to get back to some really interesting acting. And I, I loved her here. She was, yeah, giving Elizabeth Taylor, giving kind of Marilyn for me. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, she understood the assignment, as the kids say. Yes. Oh, okay. She was a voice in Isle of Dogs. Oh, yes. She was the girl, right? The activist girl? Or is that somebody else? Sure. I don't remember. It's been so long. <laughs> but you could have told me any role and I would have believed it. Hey, live action, definitely a different a different ball game. Um, yeah, she was great. I loved Scarlett Johansson in this. I will say, um, this doesn't dampen my rating for this film, but the one player, new player, I think I didn't vibe with was Maya Hawk, unfortunately. She didn't really give me much in this. But again, we're talking about. I, I but think she's like also, such a minimal it character. Help. It's like okay. Again, it also didn't impact my rating, which should be obvious because I've seen the movie three fucking times. Same. But like, but like, I wish some of these players. Tony Revolori is an amazing actor. He's a guy whose work I really admire. Grand Budapest Hotel, we loved him, and I just wish that there had been more for him to do than to stand behind Jeffrey Wright. Although I'm glad he's in it at all. I, I just wish there was more but, going on with that character and any other character. Really. No, I agree. But Tony also, I think he pops with his short time on screen. And I, I do think that, and I, and I don't want to like dog on my hog. I think she seems like a lovely person. I haven't quite seen a lot of her acting to be like blown away by. I love her mom. Obviously I love Emma Thurman. Um, and I love Ethan Hawke, so I love her parents. Wait, Maya Hawke's mother is Uma Thurman? She looks just like her. Did you not know that? It's they, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, yeah. And Uma Thurman? Yeah. <laughs> I think she's... Can we get the three of them on Awesome <laughs> Pod to talk about this? I think this? she what sounds like Uma. Like, she sounds a lot like her to me, in a way. Like, when you, next time you listen to Maya Hawke talk, I think you'll maybe hear it. But, like, I think she looks a lot like her mom, and I think she sounds like her, too. Um, but, no, she's great. But, like... I do think that there's a certain skill. And again, it reminds me of theater, right? There are no small parts, just small actors. I think the people who thrive in these small roles in Wes Anderson films are the people who can make those tiny moments and they're like five lines pop. And you, I think that Tony has that. I think Tilda has that. I think that, you know, these, I think that the people who thrive in these Wes Anderson ensembles are the people who can like make the most out of not a lot, you know? Yeah. I don't know. So I'm thinking maybe Maya's not quite there yet for me. Hey, listen, on Watch 12, I'm sure that whole thing is going to really come alive. <laughs> I didn't think much of it. I don't know. Hey, I loved it. I thought Adrian Brody was great. We mentioned him lightly. I love Adrian Brody when he shows up in a Wes Anderson movie. He's one of my favorite performances, uh, probably in Wes Anderson's whole oeuvre in Darjeeling Limited. Um, he's great. He's great in that. He's great in Grand Budapest. He's so funny in that. Um, yes, I think he's great here giving, you know, yeah. Elia Kazan kind of tortured genius director. Uh, and he, I, I gotta say he looked real handsome in that white shirt, put a man in a tight white t-shirt and something <laughs> happens. Like he looked really, really good. Adrian Brody returning from the tight white t-shirt of Peter Jackson's King Kong. He was really show. handsome in that too. Yeah. 
He was incredibly handsome. He's a very handsome handsome man. I like Adrian Brody. He's got a classic face. He does. I was thinking, because I also think that uh, Jeremy Allen White from The Bear is also deeply handsome. And so I'm like, I think that I like a man with like a prominent nose and like a floppy hairdo, you know, and a tight white t-shirt. I rarely like men, but when I do, (laughs) it's those kinds of guys. (laughs) Mid-century New York theater guy. The two guys I like are those guys and and Kevin Riley, the, the man standing in front of me right now. Well, thank you very. That's very of kind. Of course. I don't look. You know what, listener? <laughs> for all you know, I look just like Adrian Brody. Oh my okay? god, I'm I'm sitting across Adrian Brody. from Adrian Brody right now. It's Adrian Brody, but I would never kiss anybody on an award show without their explicit. Oh, I forgot about consent. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we're just normal men. We're just normal men. We're just we're just, just innocent, innocent men. men. The last thing I want to talk about, and we could, we have popped corn all over the place. So I think maybe we'll bring it home on this. Okay. Three fourths of the way through the movie, when the Wes Anderson, when the Wes Anderson AI people have already fallen asleep, <laughs> there's a sequence where um, the director of Asteroid City comes into Willem Dafoe's acting acting class, and the actors in the class, it's full of Asteroid City future asteroid city cast members yes right even fisher stevens who almost steals the whole movie out from everyone fisher stevens is there (laughs) right and they do this scene that bleeds into asteroid city proper where the entire town is overcome with a fantasia and all falls asleep at once on stage is the goal with the scene yes we don't necessarily see that scene but yeah right we see of this this version of it in the acting class and there's that refrain you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep even the alien is saying this at a point in the acting class right Mm -hmm. so knowing that asteroid city is a story about the making of a story inside of a story Mm -hmm. Knowing that it is Wes Anderson's reflection on the last three years, knowing that it is about performance and art and the meaning of art and what happens when we're in a world we can't explain. Mm. <laughs> uh, what did you think that meant? I, it's in my review and I'm expecting for people to laugh at me, but this is genuinely how I feel. I loved Wes Anderson going abstract. I think more abstract than he's ever gone before. I loved it. And I wrote in my review when I say this is <laughs> this is Wes Anderson's Mulholland Drive, I mean it. Because <laughs> to me, this was Club Silencio. No Ibanda. There is no band. I was struck so much throughout the film. The moment that pinged me was when Montana the Cowboy walks across screen and I hear spurs and I look at his shoes and I see no spurs. The sound was happening, though the spurs did not exist. And then and that made me think of Conrad Earp setting up the world of the play, saying you hear the train and we just see a man with a wooden thing of maybe rice. He's creating the sound. He's creating the theater. He's creating the artifice. And the you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. And again, this is just my take on it. I'm not, I really don't think this is objective at all. I think that I love the abstract nature of this section because I think people can have many different versions of it and I've already seen versions that are totally different than mine takes on it I think of David Lynch and the way he talks about film and how film to him are 
They are dreams that you have to allow yourself to dream. You have to allow yourself. Movies are dreams. (laughs) Yeah, really. David Lynch says, he always says his films are dreams. You have to let yourself go to it. You have to sleep. You have to fall into the dream and experience the art in its totality. You have to allow yourself. You have to open your heart. You have to rip your insides open and let the art flood into you or else you will not experience in the way that it was intended and in its completion. And so to me, I was thinking about Noai Banda. I was thinking about how in Mulholland Drive, to me, that represents there is no band and yet we hear the music. These characters are fake. These stories are fake. And yet we feel the emotions. We feel the heartbreak. We feel the love. We feel the happiness. And so to me, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep represented. You cannot be transformed by this art unless you allow yourself to dream, unless you allow yourself to fall into the dream of the film and open yourself fully to it. You will never wake up renewed with maybe your outlook on the world changed with your world view being a little different. So to me, that was because I'm taking my approach to the film was definitely a meta version of Wes looking at his own art. To me, this was him saying like, you have to let yourself go to these films or else you will not understand them, I guess. And he uses artifice and theater to create these worlds. And though they are not real, they still matter. So this was to me, Wes Anderson's club silencio. And I know it's because I'm the Lynch girly and I know that that's kind of silly. I write about it. I think a bit more articulately in my review, which I know I've mentioned a bunch, but I put a lot of work into it. So if you want to check it out, I please recommend that you do. And, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm saying it as articulately as I want to, but I, 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 that's what it read to me was just let yourself go. Don't worry about it too much. Let the art wash over you. What did it mean to you? I read it a bit more literally. I like that version. It sounded very fancy and smart and good. But <laughs> I thought about it, was... it for three days straight. So that's the only reason why. <laughs> well, for me, it was like uh, the Lynch factor. I get, I mean, obviously I, that was a great interpretation and I understand it. Yeah. Tell, I, I, I want to hear yours though. Yeah. I thought that it was, I mean, you have, I was already hinting in my asking of the question that I read it pretty literally as, we have to let things go so that we can come to a greater understanding. We have to absorb the world around us and let go of the things that which we cannot control or understand mm-hmm. to wake up. We cannot continue and live our lives if we don't let go of those things that we can't control. It's a bit more abstract. This is the beginning of no, my I journey like that, of understanding. Though. I'm figuring it out. But I still like feel like ours tie together in, like in a in a way that still oh, makes absolutely. sense. Like I love I like what you're saying there. I I do think it's about just like freeing yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. We absolutely. get so tied up with whether or not we're doing it right, and we just need to just keep going. I wonder what'll happen in the days and weeks and years to come with this film and how it's interpreted mm-hmm. and how it's dealt with. I definitely could see this being a film that grows on people a lot more in a because I do think there's more abstractions in this film than in his other films. And I do think there's more to mine here than people are willing to give it on a first watch. And I I could see this growing into something. And I'm curious 
you know, not to bring this into it, but you know, he hasn't really had a film play at awards shows since Grand Budapest. I'm curious if Asteroid City will be, some people are predicting it to maybe possibly be a return to an award season for Wes Anderson, if only because it's making a lot like for its budget it's in the amount of screens it's on making a good amount of the box office it's being somewhat well reviewed so i don't know maybe maybe more people will give it a chance if it is has a bit long a bit more longevity there i suppose let's hold on that <laughs> let's give our final thoughts and ratings and then we'll get into our little show and at that and then uh we'll talk more about that because that's very interesting mackenzie i don't think there's any illusion as to what your final rating and thoughts are on this film I think I've said too many thoughts. Again, if you want even more, um, I have some personal anecdotes and stories in there as well. Just go read my six-page review that I spent way too much time on for the last three days. Five-star movie. I love this movie. Um, currently, I, I love Wes Anderson's films so much that I it's hard for me to pick a favorite. Um, I've I for the last couple of months have considered Life Aquatic and Darjeeling tied for my favorite Wes Anderson. Huh. Uh, I Darjeeling has been hitting me a bit more lately. Um, and so those have always been tied for my number one. Darjeeling grew on me more than any other Wes Anderson ever. It's really weird. Okay. That's fascinating because yeah. Darjeeling limited is the baseline of what I'm considering happening with asteroid city. Now mm. at the time, what I want to tell you is that at the time they were like, he's dried up. He's got nothing else. This is exactly the same. The really? precise wow. framings, Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, yawn, been there, done that. Like, the critics were very cold. They were like, whatever, like it's a good enough movie. But they were very cold on Wes Anderson at that time. I didn't realize, they felt, wow. As they had felt with Life Aquatic that uh, they had seen enough. They had seen it already. Wow. So for you to hold it in such high esteem, having come to it much later, is super interesting to me. I claim on Letterboxd to have watched it last year, two years ago, when 70 Millimeter did it. Um dear friend of the show, Eric, who I don't think even knows we exist, uh, picked it as his uh, big villager council pick over there. Yeah. I, I I don't remember a frame of it, to be honest with you, except for the it's, kinks this time tomorrow needle drop. Yes. It's definitely grown on me a lot. It hits the same emotional beats that Life Aquatic does for me. Um, there's certain aspects in that film that um, cut to me in a very personal way. And so Life Aquatic... I just want to say Life Aquatic and Darjeeling have been tied for my number one, and I am putting Asteroid City up there with it. So now I have three number one all-time faves of Wes Anderson. Asteroid Whoa. City is, is it, it, I cannot stop thinking about this movie. I love it so much. It has touched a very personal part of my soul, and it is it is a, it is now a part of my trifecta of favorite Wes Anderson films ever. Kev, give me your final rating. I don't think it's going to rank that high for me. That's totally fine. That's, hey, I think it's a we're, great, all, we're, I mean, we're just normal men. We're just normal men. We got to put we're that on the Riverside uh, soundboard. <laughs> I do, yeah. We got to start using it. Remember when we froze y'all semen? We got to start using the uh, <laughs> Riverside soundboard more. I think that the movie that really spoke to and hit the core of my soul was The French Dispatch because it was about the type mm. of magazine that doesn't ever happen anymore. And the the vibe and the style and the nature of that movie really hit me, even if it's maybe not his best. <laughs> but um, please make no mistake, this is a five-star movie. And uh, I loved it a lot. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it ages. I I see, I was, truthfully, at four, four and a half on the first watch. 
I was like, ah, the way this is structured is weird. And what's going on here? But I left knowing that I would have to go back because I obviously didn't see something and I found it. Hmm. So kudos. Wes Anderson figured it out. I love it. Kev, let's do our little show. All right. Let's talk about it. I love gold. So when we do new movies and there's like awards talk, we try to do I love gold. It's kind of hard to do because the awards are at this point, let like just, just under a year away. Mm-hmm. I think it'll probably get screenplay awards or nominations, right? Nominations. Probably production design and probably will lose yes. to Barbie or something. <laughs> yes. I think all are true. I, I, I just don't know. This is such a crowded year on such a giant scale. Everybody's back this year. Nolan is back. Villeneuve is Scorsese. back. I mean, who? Marty. Who's going to take down Marty as in director? You know what I mean? Like, come on. Marty and there are business incentives to rewarding Apple to partnering with Paramount for the release of Killers of the Flower Moon. So I would love Asteroid City to show up. I think it might show up in a different award show that might be happening around the same time as the Oscars. Oh, I, I think that's a certainty. That's a certainty. <laughs> but um, I'd love to see it show up at the Oscars. I love Wes, um, but we'll see. Stay tuned. And now it is time for the Alan Parsons Project, our segment where we go through the links that bring our film of the week to the Austin Powers trilogy. Could you believe we didn't just arbitrarily pick it? We have two links this week. Oh my God. Uh, Makeup department, the godfather of FX teeth, Gary Archer, who um, his, we've talked about this before, his IMTB... His yes. IMDb video is him receiving an honor for his work. And the the big video is a photo of friend of the show, Richard Halpern as Austin Powers, which oh, is yes. extremely We've funny. We've talked about this. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Gary Archer also did teeth work on Magic Mike's Last Dance mm. on, on Black Adam with Dwayne Johnson. The hierarchy <laughs> of teeth changed that day. Oh, my God. Also, Elvis, he's a returning. <gasps> well, we talked about him before in the show, obviously, but Elvis, Nightmare Alley, The Harder They Fall, Ooh, Marvel's nice. Black Widow, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Boy, do Kevin McKenzie have a lot to say about August Wilson's work, I'm sure. Um, a great playwright. And, and many, many more. Like the credits are, the length of the credits are crazy. The Tooth Fairy, also with Dwayne Johnson. Fast and Furious, not yet with Dwayne Johnson. We'll be talking about him eventually with Spider-Man 3. The list goes on and on. <laughs> Last but not least, credited only as additional crew. Oh, okay. Production legal services in Asteroid City. Javi and Chinazi. We've talked about this person before because they worked on Pig. And they also did legal services for I, Tonya, Isle of Dogs, another Wes Anderson. Seven. And of course, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. If I said your name wrong, and I'm certain I did, Come on, Austin Danger Podcast. We want to talk to you about uh, doing legal work in the film industry. Austin Powers. There you are. You're over there. 
We do not have any emails this week. No use in our email, but we have quite a few people who left some reviews for both Southland Tales and Asteroid City. So you've tagged your views with Austin Danger Pod, Austin Danger Podcast, and we are going to share them on the show as we promise. Uh, lots of fun reviews to share. Kev, uh, give me some reviews for Southland Tales and maybe a special non-Southland Tales review actually that you pinged. Yeah, our buddy Mike at the I Read Comic Books podcast went back in the vault and reviewed Weekend at Bernie's. Two and a half star review for Weekend at Bernie's. Mike writes, what is a life for the super rich, but a series of parties where dead or alive, no one can tell if you're actually talking to them. Boom. Right to the core of it, Mike. Thank you. Uh, also, some reviews of my beloved Southland Tales. Our buddy Scott in Toronto, who watched a woman die on the street in Times Square before <laughs> seeing the Shrek musical. Uh, Four-star review for Southland Tales. Scott writes, I'm exhausted after seeing this. Physically, mentally, spiritually, so much of it is great. Some of it, yes, is bad in a good way, but a lot is just good. And here's where Scott gets into some sacrilege here. The Rock, unfortunately, is bad in a bad way. Very bad. <laughs> he absolutely does not get this movie. Completely out of his depth. I actually think late career, Dwayne The Rock Johnson would have done a better job at understanding the tone. But Young Rock, just a disaster. I I do want to I do want to say it is funny how we completely disagree on every level. Every sentence of that I do disagree with. But I will say I think that that's part I of don't. it. Of course you don't. Listen, <laughs> I think that that's part of it because Jericho Kane is supposed to be that way. Look, the effects in the Flash were supposed to look like that and Dwayne Johnson <laughs> was supposed to act that way. Okay? That is such a funny reference, Kevin. Oh my god. Everybody chill out. And you know what's crazy about The Flash? Not to dwell on this, okay? Please, let me know. The effects really, like, if you see the movie and you know that going in, the effects really are supposed to look like that. A lot of it just looks like ass. But there are some things in The Flash that are supposed to look like that. And uh, I don't know, man. That's all I got on that. Uh, The last review I want to highlight before I kick it over to you, Mackenzie, (laughs) is a one-star review from our Joe Dante correspondent trainer, host of the cinema arcade podcast. One star review trainer writes, horniness is not a crime, but the production of this movie was the whiplash I got from this being a hyper relevant meta commentary to being the worst script I've ever seen is unreal. Flip flops this way every five minutes for the entire runtime, more like Southland fails. (laughs) Oh shit burn we're watching you trainer i'm gonna put that on that's going on the list (laughs) oh my gosh that's going on the list stay tuned stay tuned those are all the reviews i got you got any for asteroid city perhaps i got a couple our friend nolan gave three and a half stars said the cast was wonderful the humor hit for me not the rest of the theater though it was crickets from the other three people watching uh (laughs) and of course it looks great my complaints come down to the fact that wes is just playing it far too safe these days interesting i want some risks what i really want from him is a musical oh my god that would be amazing yes Um, see okay this nails it on the head i think that when people are saying wes anderson being wes anderson but they're they they, i i do kind of agree that i would like to see a risk a more of a risk there's been experiments there's been dipping of toes like like i thought french dispatch was full of visual experiments that paid off real nice for Mm. asteroid city 
Yeah. I need some risks. Please, sorry, continue. No, you're fine. Nolan continues. The third act was by far my favorite. I agree. With some really interesting stuff going on, but overall, this is pretty middle of the road west. Not bad by any means. Okay. It was extremely entertaining, but I doubt I'll be thinking about it long down the road. Hmm. I, th- I totally respect that. Again, like we don't want to like shit on anybody. And I think that that's a really, I, I, I think that's an interesting take to have on it. They just want to see a bit more. And I saw that he announced his next film will be a quote unquote espionage thriller with Benicio del Toro in every single shot. So maybe we will see some risks. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> I think that one, saw- that one may be. The hypocrite Kev coming out. I have to say, if that's what that movie is, I may be a hypocrite soon. He did say, um, can he continued to say again, if you want to look it up, this is about the new, his next film he's planning after Henry Sugar, which is an animated anthology. I think that's coming out. It's like later. a half hour cartoon. I think. He yeah. Said. Um, but he said that the film is again, quoting him. He said, it's, about family more so than asteroid city so i think that it's a bit like the the spy that benicio is playing has a daughter from what i've said and that will the idea of family will play into the new film but and the last review i have is from someone i've mentioned a lot a previous guest on our hook episode the love of my life my future wife, Rachel. Um, I begged her to tag this review of the Austin Danger podcast because I really, really wanted to share it. She similarly loved this film. We we went both times together. Um, I just want to shout out and say I love Rachel so much and I love having a partner that I can engage in art with and that is willing to go to films with me and take these chances with me and discuss art with me. And um, I love her review a lot. I love the way Rachel writes and I'm very honored to share this review with you all. Rachel gave it five stars and said... Augie Steenbeck is a widower. His wife has died. He is played by Jones Hall, who will lose his partner, the playwright, in a car accident. And so he will become a widower, too. Augie's neighbor, a movie star, asks him to help her rehearse. She'll play the part of his dead wife, and he'll play the part of the grieving widow, desperate to know why his partner died. All of these things are true at the same time. The layers can't be prized apart. Jones tells his love, hey, I know why the character you wrote does what he does. You might not know, but I think I've got it. It's because he needs a reason for his heart to be beating the way it is. A real tangible feeling. Those exist. It's all real. It's all not real. Every piece of artifice is beautiful and precise. And to say it's just set dressing, to say it's mere aesthetic, to say it's only the vessel for the story itself is to miss the point. Whenever Montana walks, his not real spurs on his boots jangle. He is not a real cowboy. That's not even his real accent. Midge has a black eye that's just grease paint, and it ought to be on the inside anyway. Do you want to see a picture of my post-shrapnel meticulously staged? It did happen. It fucked up my hair. I find myself thinking of the Royal Tenenbaums, specifically of Richie's suicide attempt. When we see the rivulets of his blood, it's beautiful. It's not nearly as ugly or messy as something quote-unquote real. But Dudley still screams when he sees him. He did almost die. Oh, but he's a character. But I cried anyway. Does that mean what I was feeling was fake or a waste of time? In an asteroid city, Augie presses his palm to the red-hot coils that, based on his sandwich, should cause the most interesting zigzag burns, a real Wes Anderson burn, a beautiful wound that signifies horrible pain. But we don't see it. He flashes his palm to Midge, and for a second it's like it's not Midge responding, but her actor, Mercedes Ford, or maybe even her actor, Scarlett Johansson. As she blurts out, did you really do that? You really did that. It's all real. It's all fake. The story matters even though every inch of it is false. I cried anyway. He's just shy. Maybe he'll grow out of it. Maybe when an alien appears, you don't have to assume they are a harbinger of doom or a threat, given that you live surrounded by car chases and gunshots and nuclear bombs. Whose finger is on the trigger? What are the stories you tell yourself about your life, your micros and macros? Could you tell a story about an alien who is probably just shy, who probably misses their home? Could you draw a picture of them and write a song about them? 
Could you tell a story about yourself that says you are smart and noticed and loved? I dare you. Dare you to just fall asleep and let it wash over you because when you wake up, maybe your life will feel richer. I'm a witch, not a witch in training. I'm a mummy. I'm a fairy. I'm a brainiac. I'm going to be okay. Even though it's hard right now, I'm going to be okay. Why did we even record an episode? We just had to read that. <laughs> we should have just had Rachel. Yeah, we just like, we just, I, I told her to send a voicemail and she was like, no. And she was too shy. And I was like, if you don't tag this review, that's the podcast. I'm going to read it anyway. Cause I loved that review. And obviously I'm biased because I love Rachel, but um, she's an integral part of me. And I feel like I just wanted to bring that review to the, to the pod. No, I love the way Rachel writes. I uh, definitely check. I recommend following her on Letterboxd if you haven't already. Cause when she, when she takes the time to write a review, uh, it rips. And again, I'm biased, but. So thank you all who reviewed Bernie Weekend at Bernie's, Southland Tales, Asteroid City, anything you reviewed. Thank you for tagging your your (laughs) (laughs) reviews, Austin Danger Podcast or Austin Danger Pod. If you would like us to read it on the show, if we have time, you can always do that. Tag your reviews and we will like them on our HQ page and read them on the show. But the most guaranteed way to have your voice heard on the show is to send us an email at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. And we will absolutely share your letter, your voicemail, anything you'd like to send uh on the show i had a brain fart because i was thinking like whatever we watch next week which we don't know because sophs is who spun the wheel for us and we have a voicemail from sophs letting us know what next week's film is going to be so let's hear what sophs has to say what the wheel if the wheel was generous to her if we will be suffering as a trio next week let's see Hello, Austin Danger Pod. This is Sophie calling in. Um, I'm calling because the two of you were so gracious to invite me on to your lovely show, which I'm obsessed with and love so much. Um, And not only did you invite me to be on the show, but you also invited me to be, I think, the first guest um, to spin your infamous wheel of uh of movies which is so fun but also incredibly intimidating and (laughs) nerve-wracking because there's just the the list of movies is an insane amount and also it could just go so many different ways um but I'm up for the challenge I I thrive (laughs) off of uncertainty and um, I'm ready I'm ready to do this with you guys so um, I've actually gone on the very legitimate site of wheelofnames.com, <gasps> which is a randomizer. It's it's actually like an actual wheel yes. where you can just put things and it randomizes uh, an answer for you. So um, it also has like fun sound effects. And I really wanted this to be an immersive <laughs> experience, um, this voicemail. So we're going to go through this together. You're going to see in real time... Um, what movie I'm going to pick, um, and we'll we'll see how it goes. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit start. I can't Can hear that. that. Wow, it's going, it's going. Oh my god, I'm so nervous. Oh god, oh god. No okay. edit. Oh, <laughs> oh no. no. Oh no. Oh no. I don't know how I feel about this. And I haven't seen. Okay, so oh, no. I got Black Adam. <laughs> starring what? Your boy Dwayne from 2022. Oh. I have so many different feelings oh, in my no. soul right now. Um, you know what? 
Challenge accepted. Let's talk Black Adam, I guess. Yes, this is this is going to be good. I am excited. Oh for my this. god. Okay. See you <laughs> both hell. next week. Can't so we're wait. hopping into like late stage DCEU. Look, I mean, is it that dissimilar from Southland Tales? The <laughs> world around Dwayne Johnson crumbling into nothing as he pretends to be somewhat relevant for two hours? Oh. Get, 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 get so on the line. We got to respin. We got to respin. Oh, God. Black Adam. All right. Two Dwayne Johnson fucking movies in a month of my life. Are you kidding me? I, um, earlier this episode, I wished for a movie called Journey to the Mysterious Island. That probably um, would be You know be who's better. in that movie, too? Is it fucking, is it The Rock? Is he in that? I also, I also wished for Dwayne Johnson to appear on the show. In you, a lot of ways, you did this. Dream you invoked true. this. You did this. No, oh my I God. didn't. No, the wheel is, works on its own. We all know that. <laughs> uh, oh right, boy, then. that's next week. Could we? I just, I just, I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. Well, then the week after, Mackenzie. Yes. Episode fifty. We watched Charlie's Angels. Episode twenty-five. I. What did we? <laughs> What? <laughs> what was episode 25? What did you pick for episode 25? Wait, we did Charlie. No, no. We did episode 25 Angels was Charlie's Angels. Episode yeah. 50, I gave you the gift of Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, yes. And now it is time for our, our third coin flip episode. You will be deciding episode 75 to air two weeks from today. Yes. Um, I think that we've been building up to this episode for a very long time. We have mentioned it on the show approximately um 800 times and like <laughs> what'd you say like i do also want to note our first wheel spin episode if you recall was the candor and ebb musical cabaret yes. with liza minnelli and yes. michael york so we've been building up to this if i'm correct for a long for time for almost the entire run of the show basically and as we hinted at earlier this film is connected to Bob Fosse to all that jazz to Rob Marshall because we are watching a film we have referenced a million times and if you have not seen it I urge you to run not walk to your local library to your preferred rental place to your own DVD shelf and watch Rob Marshall's Academy Award winning musical Chicago Wow, I've known for years and I'm surprised. This has been picked for so like the second we did Charlie's Angels, I was like, we're doing I'm doing Chicago next. That's my next pick, hands down. <laughs> like we're just doing this. Well, I want people to know it's not like, you know, it wasn't absolute. I wasn't like whatever, it's locked in. I wasn't changing. I wasn't you could have changing. Changed, you could have changed your mind after I set all that shit up top. <laughs> well I would have been fine with it. I never could. I feel like it's time. We've been talking about it too much. We've got to settle the score. We've got to watch Rob Marshall, Chicago. So next week, Sophie Shin. Remember Film Hags 90 years ago? Well, she's back to join us to discuss her favorite movie of all time. <laughs> Past Lives Who. Get out of here. Celine Song, I'm sorry. What if we just make Dwayne it into Johnson an episode about Past Lives? The hierarchy of power is about to change on Austin Danger podcast when we talk about Black Adam next week. And we love the movie so much, we want you to go out and see it in two weeks. Episode 75, we'll be talking about Chicago. Chicago.
Chicago. So get excited about that. But uh, it's been like at 90 minutes or whatever. It's been like almost two hours. So for Mackenzie, this is Kev. Awesome Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. Thank you.